We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Abner Mares is a world champion boxer, Olympian, sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by abuelas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Mares, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They chat about topics like the state of boxing, Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champ, sports, music, culture, and family life. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Mares wherever you get your podcast. Episodes in English out on Tuesdays and episodes in Spanish out on Wednesdays. Blue Wire. Breaking news, Terry Rozier. He'll be the next starting point guard of the Charlotte Hornets. Step back, wide open, and it's good! Terry Rozier! All right, welcome into another Buzz Beat, your Charlotte Hornets podcast on the Blue Wire Network. We are back with another episode, and this time we are taking listener questions from Twitter. We first wanted to thank all of you that sent in these questions to us to make this episode possible, but secondly, wanted to thank all of our listeners that continue to listen to this show. We've seen the numbers uh, and the downloads, and it seems like there's been a steady uptick uh, in the number of downloads, and I'm sure it has a lot to do with you guys uh, and the continued support and love you guys show for us on Twitter and sharing the show. Brian, it's just going to be uh, you and I today. Any idea where or what Spencer could be doing right now? <laughs> uh, Spencer is on uh, dad duty from now until the rest of his life. But uh, I guess that started yesterday. Um, that's something you can speak to uh, with far more uh, experience than than I can. Yes, and uh he, I mean, obviously, his life is going to be changed forever. Uh, his time is going to dwindle because now your your focus is on a little one, and his sleep is about to get a little bit uh, smaller. And um, you know, your life now revolves around him. It, it's yeah. funny. He he texted us how um, he and his wife were were headed in, and and uh, I made this prediction as to when the delivery of the baby was going to come. And it's like, man, I was so close. I was like thirty were, minutes off. I think you were like within twenty five minutes. I yeah. thought you were very close. Yeah. you were you you uh. Maybe that was your your paternal instinct kicking in. Yes. Too. All right, we're gonna Brian. We're gonna jump in uh, to these Twitter questions here. Uh, they came in over the last couple of days, and I've kind of separated them by 
draft, off season. So there is kind of an order here, and then we're just going to touch upon them, mm-hmm. and uh, we'll go one by one here. So the first question is coming in from Patrick Connor Seven, and he asks, "Would you guys be upset with Tyrese Halliburton at three? So first off, upset might be like a strong word, but I'm definitely not sure if we walk away with him in this draft, would I feel all that excited about drafting him at number three? I mean, considering where we came from at number eight, and if he was there, that'd be a whole different story. Uh, But you've got to walk away with a high-profile name like an Anthony Edwards or potentially a LaMelo Ball if he falls. I would consider Killian Hayes one of those names, but I don't think that's going to to kind of fall in our direction. I, I don't think the Hornets view him the way that we do. There's a handful of players, Brian, that I just I would want and would be much happier if we walked away with maybe even like an Okongwu or a Vassell. I'm not saying that these are the players that I want at number three, but Halliburton just doesn't scream to me like a top three pick. Now, in terms of Halliburton, we, we can talk a little bit about him. And, I mean, I think he does deserve a little bit of recognition. Uh, I think sometimes he gets a little bit undervalued. He's a very high IQ player on both ends of the court. And offensively, you're going to get a heady basketball player that that can pass the ball with the best of them, can produce in catch-and-shoot situations. Um, the thing that gives me pause, whether that's at number three or whether it was at, at number eight, uh, was just his shooting form. And we've talked about that on previous pods, and that kind of limits his ability and his upside with his off-the-bounce creation there. So, uh, yes, I would – upset might be a strong word, but I definitely wouldn't be like – totally excited with this pick yeah I'll, I'll mirror a couple of couple of your thoughts and, and maybe add a thing or two here yeah I don't think anger is necessarily the emotion I would have I would be a little confusing <laughs> I would be a little confused um because I like Tyrese Halliburton I have I have Halliburton graded out as a lottery talent I think it's possible to build a case for him as a top 10 pick However, I would want to know, like, if they actually went for him at three, I would have a variety of questions. Specifically, like, what what, a, what about Tyrese Halliburton makes you think uh, he's the third best prospect in this draft? And specifically, if you were going to take him at three, how hard did you try to trade back, right? Like, because this guy's going to be available after three. So if you really were dead set on Tyrese Halliburton, you could move back probably yeah. or hopefully pick up another asset or two and then take Halliburton at eight or nine or 10 or 14 or whatever. So again, I like Tyrese Halliburton as a pro- as a prospect. I think he's going to be like a positive winning mm-hmm. player, a good rotation player in the NBA. Um, I have some concerns defensively on the basketball and sort of more specifically some of the um, offensive limitations, the rim finishing, the issues with contact, the over-reliance on the floater, uh, the off-the-dribble shot form. You know, he's certainly a good shooter, but how will teams guard him in the pick and roll? I just feel like if you draft Halliburton, there's a very good chance you're still, you know, you're still going to be looking for a primary guy at some point. Um, now, obviously, if they went James Wiseman at three, then yeah, they're still looking for the, I'm, 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 I'm trying to, I'm trying to, just for the sake of this, I'm looking beyond Devonte Graham, who is certainly a part of the few, part of the picture now in Charlotte, and for at least, um, I would say the short to long term future too. But again, you're looking for like the real franchise altering guard creator at some point in time, and I just don't. I think it's a very low probability that's Tyrese Halliburton. Um, we know this isn't an amazing draft, um, and it's not exactly an ideal year to have the number three pick, though. Like it's still a good asset, which is something we've talked mm-hmm. about mm-hmm. 
plenty on this podcast. I just believe Ball, Hayes, and and Edwards should go one, two, three in some order. And if you exit that group, then you're looking at a Kong Wu. You're looking at uh, Devin Vassell. Yeah, like if you want to go skinny wing, uh, go Devin Vassell right. at three right. over Halliburton. Um, so yeah, those are those are my general thoughts. It just if you were adamant on Halliburton as your guy, you can do more from a value standpoint than just burning the number three pick on him. Um, not like it's easy to trade back, but it's certainly so, uh, an avenue you could look into. But if you're dead set on keeping the pick, then I just think you can extract more talent. Um, and it's not even like a knock on uh, on Halliburton, who's a very good player. And I think he's going to be, a, 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 again, I think he's going to like contribute and be good in the NBA. But yeah, I just think there's a little, there. you can find more upside with that pick if you're, if you're going to keep it. To your point, if we're drafting this guy, or if we're really high on this guy for whatever reason, he doesn't need to be coming at three, and it needs to be farther back, and you can get more value by picking up extra picks. You kind of mentioned some of his weaknesses and, and some of the things that you are kind of wary of in terms of you know finishing at the rim, his over-reliance on the floater game, and, and maybe a little bit of the on-ball defense. Does that all kind of go back to his like frame? Like I feel like that kind of... Yeah, I think to an extent, but... Uh... I do think that even like the issues with, with contact and finishing at the rim. Yeah. Part of that is frame, but there is also like, there are some skinny guys that are really good finishing around the basket too. Like Killian Hayes mm-hmm. is pretty skinny. He's pretty damn good finishing around the basket. Um, but like, so it's, it's the frame. It's also perhaps like, a, you know, an athletic thing too, in terms of just like vertical pop. Um, and then, skill and craft like I think a guy like Killian Hayes has a lot of that you know using his length to finish around the hoop so I think it's a combination of of a bunch of different factors it's not it part of it certainly is the frame but I think a lot I think several more things go into that even though sports had a break your business didn't You have to keep moving, and that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world because Indeed gets you the best people fast. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. With 73% of online job seekers visiting Indeed each month, Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Bet BetOnline is going the extra mile to make sure you can get on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, BetOnline gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to bet online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, 
your online sportsbook experts. Question number two comes from E underscore TB15. Uh, what are your thoughts on the 56 pick? So we're even going farther back than we did mm-hmm. last week. Any late draft sleepers that you have, Brian? I'm actually just give you one. I, I don't, uh, as you guys know, get into too much draft prep here. And I don't know if I would call this guy a sleeper because I'm sure many of you guys have heard of this name. And I think sometimes when you think of sleepers, you think of a player that might have some untapped potential that could have a high upside. That's not really what I see with this guy. The guy that I'm getting ready to mention is more of like a low ceiling, high floor guy, a guy that you know what you're going to get, but he might get overlooked. I'm I'm a fan of Peyton Pritchard kind of low in the draft. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a little bit undersized at 6'2 from Oregon. I'm a big fan of passing point guards with some flair. He's also got a nice shooting stroke from behind the arc, a career 38% shooter at Oregon, uh, and he actually shot 42% uh, from three last season. He's not going to be a huge factor in getting into the lane and finishing uh, among contact because of his athleticism or the lack of height or explosiveness, but... Uh, mm-hmm. He just feels like that solid player in that 56 range that you know what you're going to get, solid point guard. And it also is going to depend on who we draft prior. Like, if we don't need a point guard, obviously Peyton Pritchard's not going to make a whole lot of sense at this position. Mm-hmm. And the only other name that I might mention, and I don't know if he's going to be available at 56 because I've seen his name above and I've seen his name below, a former guest of the show, Grant Riller. Um, so if he falls that far, I've seen his, I've seen his name to 32. They should take him at 32. I I agree with you, Brian, but I've seen his name that low on some of these mocks and I'm just like doing double takes. So I would definitely take him over Pritchard, but yeah, those are the only names that I have at at 56. Yeah. Uh, a couple thoughts. And and I, I like Pritchard, like he can, he can organize an offense. He can, you know, he can do some stuff out of the pick and roll. Um, like you said, good shooter, good off the dribble shooter. Um, I never watched like I've seen a couple of Pritchard games even though, even the last couple of weeks or months. Mostly it was to watch other Pac-12 guys, but I always enjoyed his aspect of the tape too. When I was watching Arizona for you know Josh Green and Zeke Naji and Nico Mannion or Colorado for Tyler Bay um, or Washington for Isaiah Stewart or whatever. A um, couple things here. Uh, one, I think when you when you cover and you follow a draft in depthly and this one is almost unique just because the process has been so long. So it's allowed me to even go into more layers of this and, and look at even more prospects than normal years. I I think it's really, I think it's natural even to, to just assume the talent level, the pool of prospects is, is deeper is deep. You know, you just, you go, you go through the tape, you look at the numbers, you start almost like convincing yourselves that certain guys are, you know, you think all of these guys could make it. If this goes right, if this goes right, if this goes right, um, if they get into this system, you know, if you give this person enough time and I, and I like having that, that mindset, it's just like, look, you know, not all of these, these guys are going to make it, especially once you're talking about, you know, second round deeper into the second round prospects. So I do want to note that sort of like hanging overhead of all of this, you know, only so many guys are going to make this that's evident and and everyone knows that already. That said, yes, there are several possibilities at 56 that I really, really like. Um, I mentioned Jalen Harris, the combo guard out of Nebraska last week. I don't think he's available at 56, but there's a non-zero chance. And if he is, they should snap him up um better defender than i think he then maybe he even comes off of when you first watch him but active good feet 
moves well over screens. And then the main thing that you're looking at with, with Jalen Harris is just like super skilled and clever offensive weapon moves well without the basketball comes off screens, you know, looking for jumper or using screen plus, you know, his first step to attack advantage functional handle that can make guys miss one-on-one or in space, good hesitation, change of speed and direction, the ability to decelerate a strong pull-up shooter, um, and really like a guy that scores from whether you want to break the half court down to three or four levels, he is that many levels of a score. He can hit, he can, he can play from anywhere. Another guy that I don't think will be around at 56, but if he is, uh, the Hornets should very much consider him. And I think he would be uh, a guy that could, would almost fit into a role that Cody Martin do, does as a prospect and as a player now for the Hornets. And that's Nate Hinton out of uh, Houston. Uh, wing, excellent motor, one of the best motors in the entire draft, good athlete, great ball skills, tracking and passing lanes, sprinting for loose balls, rebounds, some monster rebounder for a guard, pretty good pull-up shooting numbers. And uh, the shot is a little weird. It's a pretty flat shot, which is maybe a bit of a concern um, as he's you know moving you know up a level in skill and, and just in terms of di- the dimensions changing with the three point arc, but I like Nate Hinton a lot. And he, if he was somehow at fifty six, that would be awesome. I've talked about him a couple times on the pod now. Um, another guy, Mason Jones, combo guard out of Arkansas, not a great athlete, but a big guard that can really drive, create contact, shoot off the dribble. I, I mentioned him on last week's podcast as well too. Jones would be a phenomenal pick. At 56, um, if he's there, I don't think he will be. Skylar Mays, a uh, combo guard yeah, at LSU, LSU, crafty scorer, six foot four, pretty good athlete, um, great ball fakes, shot fakes, nice touch as a finisher. And he had a monster shooting this season, a monster shooting year uh, for LSU, 39% on threes, 85% from the line. Uh, doesn't take a ton of mid-range shots, which is good, but 48% on mid-range looks gets to, gets to the rim a fair amount, 3% steal rate veteran guy that could come in and, and help you win right now. Um, when I did a mock draft last month with some other people in NBA and, and draft Twitter, uh, Mays actually fell to 56 and he's who I selected. So I really like Mays. So of this group, Mays, Jones, Hinton, and Harris, like I think they're sort of like the platinum level of st- prospect. If they fall to 56, I think you really take yeah. them. Some other sort of like sleeper types that I'm interested in, uh, Yam Madar, who's a guard out of from uh, Tel Aviv, uh, really good on-ball defender, just a great point, one of the best guard point-of-attack defenders in the class, but he has some versatility off the basketball defensively and good passer that can also finish at the rim offensively, six foot three. So Yamadar's a guy that I really like is maybe more in the sort of like sleeper capacity. Mm-hmm. Uh, another sort of sleeper prospect, although I think he's got a, a, a fair amount of, of buzz around him too, but that's would be uh, Lamine Janet out of Cal State Northridge, uh, a stocks monster, Jeremy Grant type player, uh, stocks monster, career for uh, career, six percent block rate, two and a half percent steal rate, um, really high usage guy that will obviously come down. He was like in the mid thirties in terms of usage at, at Cal State Northridge, which you just can't really take seriously. But um, super coordinated, mobile, six seven long, uh, and you know can finish at the rim. Seventy three percent shooting at the rim this season, uh, and his decision making uh, appears to have gotten better too. I'm I've done I've seen some of Janae, but I'm going to do even more of a, a deep dive 
in the near future here, which I'm excited for. Another sort of under-the-radar guy, uh, Sam Merrill, uh, combo guard, scoring guard out of Utah State, monster shooter, uh, 42% on threes for his career, 750 attempts, can create his own shot, 33% of his threes this season were unassisted. And uh, with his good size, a good on-ball defender, good team defender, vocal, good communicator. And then I would like to just get in two more names here. Um, one would also that I think there's a good chance he's available at 56. And I like uh, Najee Marshall from Xavier, power wing, 6'7", 220, a big wing that can handle and really pass the ball, connector in the half court, but can facilitate off the dribble, um, impressive vision, hit ahead passes in transition, live dribble in the paint, we're looking back door, cross court skips to the opposite wing. Um, you know, you can even see him. There's some, obviously, he has some highlight plays too of him moving without the basketball and then, you know, bridging actions in the half court with another pass. So cutting baseline, he gets hit with a backdoor pass, help defense converges. Um, and he, you know, he, he throws a touch pass to the, you know, someone in the dunker spot or at the front of the rim for a, for a layup. Um, four and a half assists per 40 minutes this season. Uh, which is a good number. And yeah, bring this guy off the bench. He can guard a couple of positions, run some offense, help ignite ball movement. Um, the shot is an issue. Uh, it's not great. Uh, he took a, he actually really likes little step back moves. He does not make them often, but it's sort of like a good indicator that he's willing to do that. Um, I think that's one of those things you want to look at along with, uh, you know, free throw percentage and three point volume and stuff. Uh, but for his career, 29% on threes, uh, 370 attempts. And then I would also like to mention uh, C.J. Ellaby, uh, a wing out of Washington State that played some small ball four for them this season, but 6'6", 220, lefty. Um, I like Ellaby uh, a good bit, but movement, shooting, shooting off the dribble with range, gets a lot of steals. So I, I like Ellaby a lot and think he would be a, a pretty interesting pick. Just so we can keep it moving, I won't add too much here, but I'll throw out a few other names of just Mamadi Diakite center out of Virginia that like, I have a whole thing written for him here, but I'll, I'll spare you guys. Marcus Howard point guard out of Marquette who I've actually seen a lot of recently, but you know, pick and roll guy that can really shoot off the dribble, step backs, strong, good balance. But you know, he's, he's small. He's only like five ten, five eleven. Jordan Wara, out of Louisville, uh, 6'7", good size, movement shooter, cannot create his own shot, but defense is mostly fine and pretty good uh, area position rebounder. And again, the movement shooting at his size is, is appealing. Um, Saban Lee out of Vanderbilt, guard that can get downhill, get to the rim. I mentioned him last week. And the last name will be uh, Josh Hall, who is a development piece. Hall's going straight to the NBA from high school uh, he's from Durham he was actually committed to go to NC State and then early I think in April um, he explored the possibilities of entering the draft he's he's a year out of you know it was his fourth year of high school he's in prep school at Moravian Prep in Durham but like a versatile you know three and a half uh, you know small forward, power forward that can run in transition has, I think projects as a guy that could be a pretty good shooter. Um, you know, I don't know if he'll be available at 56. I'm not sure if he's the development piece that Charlotte would be all too interested in. Like he's coming out of high school. Yeah. Um, but would be the kind of guy that they have so many young guys in the system already. Um, and they're going to, they have the number three pick. They have the number, 
32 pick as well. So you've got two more guys that are going to be added to the rotation and, and maybe the guy at 32 spends time in Greensboro, but Hall would be a guy that you would take at 56 and just like stat, like stash him in green. You know what I mean? Yeah. Stat, like, yeah, yeah. like a domestic stash almost <laughs> uh, in a way. So those are a lot of names um, that, that I just so, sort of listed right. off. But uh, I think I think the guys that I initially mentioned uh, Harris, uh, Jalen Harris, Nate Hinton, Mason Jones, Skylar Mays. If either of the, if any of those guys falls, they would be great picks. Yam Madar, uh, Lamine Janay, and Sam Merrill are in are sort of more like under the radar types that I like a lot. And uh, Inaji Marshall is just another sort of like developed known commodity um, that I think offers some. I, I really like his passing and size on the wing. It's what's difficult about like projecting, you know, who's going to be there at 56 because it's so far down in the draft. Yeah, There's so yeah. many moving parts. And, yeah. uh, and if you've, you're calling these players sleepers at 56, there's clearly something wrong with their game that they're yeah. falling to 56 in the first place. But you're, the, the list of players uh, definitely sound more versatile than uh, my player that I suggested, Pritchard. Uh, Pritchard just seems like a basic kind of yeah. like well, solid I threw, guy. I threw, I threw Marcus Howard in there too. They're like, they're, they're, they're prolific college, you right. know, lead guards. Just some limitations in terms of size and defense. Yep, that's why we had Brian on to spill all the knowledge of, of pre-draft <laughs> and, and all these prospects on, on the uh, the podcast here. So we're going to go to another question as it relates to the draft. This was a late addition to the script here, Brian. At Fitch for Hornets, uh, he says, pre-draft process has been adjusted to allow 10 players one at a time into the facility for in-depth interviews and workouts. How should the Hornets take advantage of this? Workout top, top prospects, prospects for 32, 56, ones that go undrafted thought. So this is a pretty cool question in terms of, you know, how they are going to use this strategically to bring Mm -hmm. in these players to interview, work out, look at their medicals and all that stuff. So one thing to note here, you can only meet with a prospect twice. And the most amount of hours that you can spend with one specific prospect is a total of four and a half hours, if I'm not mistaken. You're correct. They also mentioned in this report if the players do have some kind of pro day style workout and a team goes to watch that player, it'll count as one of their visits. So, yeah, there is some limitations here, uh, but they've clearly lifted some restrictions with COVID and now they're able to see players in person. Um, So it's not like they can use as many visits that they want. So there's got to be some kind of strategy here. And, and clearly uh, it's, it can only be what, two, like I said, two visits per person maximum. Mm-hmm. So to me, I mean, I, I clearly, I, I think your most of your efforts, I mean, maybe, maybe I'm wrong here. Most of your efforts would have to be with that 32nd pick and that top three pick. I, I just, I don't, yeah. I don't know if you can really pinpoint, like I was just mentioning some of these prospects at 56 or that, or that could go undrafted and, and bring them in for workouts just to hope that they fall to 56. I, I think most of your efforts should be in those top couple of picks there, obviously. And then obviously bring in some of those for 32 as well. I don't know what your thought process on, on this is. Yeah, I, I tend to agree with you. And, and it's a good, it's a good question yeah. uh, from, from Fitch for Hornets. So appreciate that. Yeah. I think it's one of those things because you have such a finite number guys that can come in, how long they can be in there. And that number three pick is just so it's the most important asset this franchise has right now, probably. Right. So like with the, with the small amount that you have of, of, of time and resources uh-huh. here for this initiative, I think you got to pour as much of that into 
looking at guys potentially for the number three for the number three pick and go all in on that essentially and and if that if that also includes like you know if you're really kicking the can on the possibility of trading back well then you know maybe look at some other lottery guys that would be in those potential trade back range i don't you know i don't think any of us on this pod think they're going to do that we think they're going to keep the pick and stuff but yeah i would put as much time effort and energy because that's going to be in terms of cost in terms of your the future arc of the franchise like that's going to be it's it, it has very real cost both in terms of dollars and cents like the, they're going to be the number three pick, I, I would actually need to pull up like what the rookie rookie scale numbers looks like, but that's going to be one of the like the pricier contracts on the roster too, um, and has a huge responsibility for this franchise going forward. So yeah, I would I would put as many resources as possible into getting making sure I had you know Lamelo Ball, uh, Killian Hayes, um, Anthony Edwards, I guess James Wiseman, Akong Wu. Yeah, as many of those guys in as I possibly could. And then whatever's left over, if anything is, then, uh, yeah, I'd, I'd be keeping an eye on on guys for 32 because that's a great asset yeah. uh, as well. Now, this might be a stupid question. So there's 10 visits, okay? So does if a, if a player comes in for their two visits, does that count as two of their 10, or is that still one visit I think it's just one visit. Gotcha. Okay. One, one visit. I'm looking at it like it's like ten units almost. Gotcha. You know, and so uh, you could you could have ten guys satisfy those ten units, or you could have five, and gotcha. you can distribute that. I'm I think that's based off you know the reporting I saw from uh, Jonathan Gavoni and and Shams. All right, we're going to shift into our questions as it relates to the free agent in off season. So the first question is coming from at sarcastic underscore asset. Do y'all like any of the big man options who will be available in free agency for the Hornets? So clearly we're going to need a center eventually because a lot of these are coming off the books in, the, in this year or, in, or next year with Cody Zeller on his last year here. And who knows if he's going to be coming back the Hornets. Uh, so first off, I do like the idea of Christian Wood, like just the idea mm-hmm. of Christian Wood. And we've mentioned his name before. I just think that he be willing or we wouldn't be willing to pay enough to get him here. And I'm not sure I would be comfortable with maybe whatever that number may be. I don't know what yeah. that number is, but I, I almost envision it being north of like 16. I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what that number yeah. is. He's a very good player. Shot very well at the rim. Shot 39% behind the arc. Uh, he can play the role or the pop uh, in the pick and roll game. But again, having said that, he's not a player that I feel like we want to throw that extra cash at uh, mm-hmm. this offseason. There's not a ton of teams that have significant space, but there are a handful of teams that that do. My preference, and I think we've mentioned this this guy's name several times on the podcast, is, is Jakob Pertl. He does feel a little bit like Cody Zeller in the fact that he's not going to stretch the floor and he's going to be someone that's, making a big impact in that screen assist game. He can pass the ball a bit too, like like Zeller. But uh, where he does differ from Zeller is that he actually looks to score out of the pick and roll, where Cody, I feel like, looks to pass. And then on the opposite end with Pirtle, he might be inferior to Zeller out, you know, guarding little men out in space. But the good news is he's a shot blocker on, on the backside of the defensive end. So 
Um, he is a restricted free agent, if I'm not mistaken, with San Antonio. Yes, so is. technically they could match. But, you know, if we throw out a comfortable number, let's say $11 million, you know, would San Antonio match in that situation? I'm not sure. So Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. That's like that's like a good number to throw out because I think it's like, I don't know. It's, it's like enticing, but yeah. Fence, yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't um, know if you have any names other than those two. Um, yeah. But, yeah. I got a couple names, couple names to throw out. Um, you mentioned Kristen, Christian Wood, and, and obviously, like, the connection to Charlotte, like, it makes a lot of sense to circle that as a possibility. And, like, dude, Christian Wood had an unbelievable season offensively uh, this year. He's a great offensive center. On pick and pops, 1.4 points per possession this season, 67% effective shooting. Uh, rolling to the basket this season, 77%. Uh, shooting 1.5 points per possession, 1.2 points per possession on spot ups. And he shot 72% at the rim in the half court too. And he gives you a little rim protection as well. He's young. Uh, Again, if Charlotte wants to spend, and and I'm not saying that's like, that's what I would pursue, but if that's what they want to do, Christian Wood's not a bad option. And look, I don't know, maybe I, so many of these guys, and, and Wood is maybe one of the exceptions or, or one of the more obvious exceptions, but look, some of these guys may want to take one-year contracts and then try to get back into free agency yeah. in 2021. I don't think that will be Wood um, because maybe he has some sort of advantage as like the best offensive big mm-hmm. guy on the market this summer. Um, you mentioned Jakob Pertl, and perhaps the Hornets could be you know an offer sheet team for him. Uh, he turns 25 later this week, so he's still young. He's always kind of reminded me of Zeller, even though, as you addressed, there are some certain differences between those two guys. But big, mobile, good motor, good position defender mm-hmm. uh, in space uh, in the pick and roll. Um, so yeah, I like Pirtle. I'm It just depends on what the number is. It's like I, I kind of think in my head maybe any number that Charlotte would throw out that the the Spurs would probably be comfortable matching it. You know, is what right, I think is right. like a reasonable number for Pirtle. It's just a tough time for him to be hitting restricted free agency. Like, it, it sucks. Um, he is certainly, he and even a guy that I'm about to mention here in a second, Montrez Harrell, like, based off everything that happened with the pandemic and the, the, the league losing games, basketball-related uh, incomes, how that's going to shape up with the cap, and then also based off how Harrell played in the, in the bubble. It's like those guys probably lost a fair amount of money, like in the terms of millions of dollars, but we'll also now add, well, like I just said, Montrez Harrell, uh, age 26, unrestricted free agency, great pick and roll finisher this season. Good motor. I'm absolutely paired really well with Lou Williams. The last couple of years, limited defense has issues. It's like, you know, smaller, but can't really switch all that much. Um, he had a rough go of things down in the bubble, um, which was unfortunate because there were, extenuating circumstances that sort of made a tough situation even more difficult for him. But yeah, Harold's not like quite a stay away for me, but just like based off the numbers he's going to want. Um, yeah, man, if I'm Charlotte, I, I just, I, I think long and hard. I, I like Montrose Harold a lot as a player. I just don't think he makes much sense with where the Hornets are currently. A couple other names to throw out. Sir, uh, Serge Ibaka age 30 stretch five that will probably age pretty nicely because he, can shoot the basketball shot 51% on threes in the playoffs was really good out of the pick and pop for uh, Toronto uh, 38% shooting on threes off the catch this season. Obviously he gives you a little bit of rim protection and he can, you know, he's not, he can guard some forwards in the NBA too, even, even though he's a little older and not quite as athletic as he used to be. I don't think Charlotte's like in the market for a Baca. I think there's a good chance he could end up back in Toronto. Uh, Derek favors 
um, who I thought actually had like flew under the radar, had a pretty nice season this year, went healthy, which is sort of the key point for him. He's battling injuries a lot. He turned 29 in July, but like, man, he's a hell of a screen setter, which, which is great for your offense. Like it's something that would be good with Devante um, can finish at the rim, good position defender, good rebounder, helps your team as a team rebounder. So I like Derek favors. I'm just not sure. Charlotte makes a ton of sense with a caveat that I'm going to mention uh, just right now, which is when I'm thinking of like, it's, it's not easy to, to like bin these guys into just like two or three categories. But when I'm thinking of like the contract types that I really like for Charlotte, and I'd be curious to know what you think about this and, and, and later on what Spencer thinks about it too. But when I'm thinking of like with the space that they have, with some of the roster needs that they have and some of the opportunities that they can create off of it. Here are the two deal types that I'm, that I'm thinking about. And and maybe I'm not even being that imaginative, but just go with me. One type is sort of like the buy low type, which is you take the younger talented prospect. That's maybe even in distress guys with skill sets or pedigrees that sort of speak to them being able to, you sign them for a cheap number, low risk, cheap deal. And you see if you, they develop. And then the other contract type that I'm less interested in pursuing, but still think it can have real value from a team building perspective is signing guys that you can perhaps turn to, depending on, again, it sort of depends on how you, with the deal making, how, what kind of contract you sign them to in terms of dollar amount, uh, years, et cetera. But guys that can be signed and then can essentially convert into trade chips for the deadline and trade assets, um, which is a guy that like maybe favors could be that if he stayed healthy, you know what I mean? You sign him to a, uh, you get him on a one-year contract and then he plays pretty well for you. You know, gets enough pick and roll finishes from Devonte Graham and playing around the spacing from PJ Washington. Um, you know, his leadership is good with a young team. And then all of a sudden, if there's a team looking for a center at the deadline, you can flip him for a, a pick or a, you know, another young player or whatever. So that type of contract, and I think maybe even Aaron Baines, who's a free agent, maybe he could be someone like that. Maybe Nerlens Noel is a guy that could that could also function like that. Uh, Nerlens is like a little def- little limited defensively, but he can certainly protect the rim. Um, and the defensive like impact catch all numbers. Love that guy and have for the yeah. last two years in Oklahoma uh, City. I'm not crazy about Mason Plumley, and I don't think Tristan Thompson fits into either of these two molds. He could also just go back to Cleveland. But as far as like the 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 buy low like young prospect and duress talents, I think Harry Giles Harry is Giles. like the I obvious guy. Mention, we yeah. we've talked about him a lot on this podcast. Um, unrestricted free agent because Sacramento declined his fourth year option. Um, they're limited in what they can offer him. Um, I believe it's around four million dollars. Um, with that said, like that might be enough to get him back, but you know, the Hornets can also offer more if they really wanted Harry. I don't know if I would spend more than that to get him, but, um, Giles can pass, you know, he can run a DHO. Um, I know the, there's a lot of negative indicators for him right now, but like this guy was the number one pick, you know what I mean? Uh, or like when he was coming out of high school was projected as the number one pick possibility. So I think there's perhaps maybe even just you're taking a risk, but there's some it's low, it's lower risk. And maybe you, you hit on something. Um, You know, we've only seen him play parts of two NBA seasons now. I tend to agree with you in terms of just like the, the approach, like the buy low approach versus trying to turn someone into a trade chip, because then what if that player never pans out to being a trade chip? And then now you're stuck with this guy. If if he's a two year contract or whatever it may be. Right. So that's yeah. that's the issue that you could get into. And then obviously 
I'll let, I'll let you finish here in a second. But like, if, if it is a trade chip type of deal that you're going for, you would almost want to kind of um, use this player prominently in your offense to kind of showcase, quote unquote, right. as well. So that that's what you right. also got to factor into it. Right. You're right. Good points. Uh, you know, Chris Boucher from Toronto is another like possible like buy low type um, restricted free agent kind of a stretch five. I mean, he's really skinny. You know, he's not like a full-time five. Spencer brought him up last week or two weeks ago or whatever, but like just trying to put this guy in the game and just like, he's there to like mess with the variance. You know what I mean? Plays hard, blocks some shots, shoots some threes, attack and transition, uh, catch and go against a closeout. You know, um, I like Boucher. I, I think he's going to end up staying in Toronto. And then the only two guys that I would sort of label as like stay aways. Um, would be Hassan Whiteside and Dwight Howard. Um, or just like, I don't want any part. I mean, Dwight, Dwight's obviously not coming to Charlotte. Like, that's a no-brainer. Yeah. Uh, given his time in Charlotte and the fact that, you know, I don't think he and Mitch Kupchak are, you know, writing Christmas cards to one another. And, um, and yeah, Whiteside, just, you know, no thank you, pass. Um, so, which is something he never does. Uh, right. basketball. Yeah. So, anyways, that's how I, I like, I like, some of these guys, the veterans that you can maybe turn into a trade ship if you sign them to, you know, one-year deal or one plus one or whatever on a decent salary. Uh, I think Pirtle is interesting as a potentially an offer sheet guy. Wood is obviously like the upside play that you're going to have to spend the most to right. get. And But, yeah, I'm sort of intrigued by the the Harry Giles type of uh, – it's not yes. going to take much to get a guy with a lot of talent in the building for you. It'll be interesting to see how we approach our own free agents at the center position with mm-hmm. uh, Hernan Gomez and um, Biz as well. I, I feel like we might might bring back Hernan Gomez. That's just my like gut instinct. I don't yeah. know. I don't know what yeah. it, why that is happening. But uh, yeah. All right. Another free agency slash off season question comes from that man Fran. If a disgruntled good player i.e. Oladipo, Heald, or Turner is available. Could you see the Hornets circumventing the total rebuild to get that guy and be the star in a new environment? So, huh, I feel like I would have answered this question a little bit differently hadn't we landed the third overall pick. I think I'd be more open to this if we were sitting at the eighth pick. I don't know why that is. Maybe it's just because we have an, a chance to get a quote-unquote better star-ish player at the number three pick. Maybe I'd be more open to it if we didn't have that opportunity and we wanted to add talent. Having said that, I don't necessarily think this is the right time, regardless, to circumvent the rebuild, as he says. And I don't believe that's going to be Mitch's Kupche- Mitch Kupchak's mindset either. We've heard plenty mm-hmm. of times with him and in Borrego, you know, obviously in those recent press conferences where he talks about this as a process and, and we aren't going to skip steps here. So if we do pick up this disgruntled player to make this team better now, I just don't feel like that's a, a good idea. Um, mm-hmm. And I feel like the only way that I would do something like that is if it was more, and I don't even think this deal exists, if it was more of like a salary dump where we also get future assets. Yeah, um, but that, I don't that's know. A different, that's a different story. Correct. Right? Yeah. 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 So to me, the short answer to this is no. I just don't feel that way, and I do feel like my thoughts have changed since we've gotten that third pick. Yeah, the um, I mean, these are good players. Like Oladipo, if he ever gets back to health, is a star. But you know, he's got an impending free agency on the horizon to deal with. Uh, healed, great movement shooter. Turner, good rim protector. Offers some stretch offensively, but just God, not as much as you would probably quite like it to be. Although I, I like Miles Turner's a starting center in the NBA. He's a good player, and like 
he would fit with PJ, but um, I don't know if he's like the, you know, the quite the rim runner you're hoping for um, to maybe eventually pair with Devonte or whomever the future guard of the, of the Hornets is. Um, I use all of that as sort of an extended preamble to say like, one of a move like this, if it involves you giving up any sort of assets for one of these guys and tying up space is one step forward and like four or five steps back. It's not the move to make. They're not trying to contend now. Um, some of these guys aren't like easy to trade either too. Again, we're just, these were just some of the names that right. were mentioned in the question. And if you really want to add like young veteran players, guess what? They have cap space. Like they can go sign Christian Wood, you know, like the, I, I can see the, the possibility of, you know, Charlotte has some good young players in theory. Those guys are going to get better. Plus a decent asset mix. Maybe the eight seed is in range. I don't know. I actually think the, even the East playoffs race is like a, a little more congested than maybe in previous years next season. So I just don't see the, the need to short circuit what you're doing now to get a good shooter in the room. Like, what does that do? You know, and what does that really do? I know it's obviously it's good to have guys that can run around and make 40% of their threes. Like everyone knows that, but why give up assets to add pieces when if you really wanted to, to get guys like use your cap space, you know, like the, it doesn't even for, so for me, it doesn't even like make sense on a, on, on, on a couple of levels, but I don't think it's out of the question. I don't think it's out of, the question that this could happen. I just don't think what Charlotte's playing is the long game right now. Uh And they're doing a pretty good job of it. You know, like they've, they've, their books are in good shape. Their asset mix is in pretty good shape. They've got some decent young players. Yeah, no, I, I just, I, unless, unless there was an actual like salary dump scenario where you, you are tasked with also getting assets in return, different story. Um, But as far as giving stuff up, like the, the most important stuff this franchise has now is like it's it's draft picks, you know? So I guess there could be some sort of offer for one of these guys where maybe the Hornets weren't really giving that much out in terms of an asset mix, but like uh, anything, I, I would get queasy quickly depending on how much uh, draft capital was was thrown into whatever that equation would look like. Yeah, I mean, even even Cody Zeller made a mention of this in, in one of his recent media availabilities where he's saying, we're not trying to compete. I mean, I know he's only going to be on the Hornets roster next year, but he's yeah. we're not we're not trying to compete for the seventh and eighth seed. Yeah. It, it's it's more of a long term picture here with yeah with the Hornets. Agreed. All right, we got three more questions left, and these more pertain to predictions and the future Hornets. And we'll go through these a little bit quicker here. Number one, what's your way too early prediction for the <laughs> 2021 season? Go give us the seed. We're gonna get in the East, uh, and then <laughs> he also mentions. It would be cool to hear how this prediction could change related to the guy we pick at number three. And this is from at Barre I Filippo four. Uh, yes, he is certainly Shut correct up. here. This is way too early. Uh, but let's go ahead and answer this, Brian. First yeah. off, do we? I mean, we don't have any clue as to what the schedule or what no. next season is going to look like, right? No. So we don't. We don't know what the cap. I mean, we can have. We have some ideas of what the cap right. will look like. But we don't even know like this. The specific. Those specifics are not like publicly available at the moment. Right. So they could actually go. I mean, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they could go a route like the MLB did, where they have like little pods, right? Like little like mm-hmm. where they just only are playing either in their division or, or someone in their close vicinity. So I think there's a good chance that yeah. that's a thing that that happens. That yeah. could be the way to go. And 
I'm not saying that drastically affects how things shape up, but clearly if you're just playing a certain amount of teams and they happen to be a good set of teams or whatever, you know, whatever that may be, it's going to, it's going to change our prediction a little bit, but there's no use in trying to predict that Brian. I'll just say this. I I don't know if regardless of who we pick at number three, I think we're going to come away with a player uh, that's going to obviously take a couple years to develop. Hopefully there's some kind of star potential there. I'm hoping for Anthony Edwards. Uh, I know you're hoping for Killian Hayes, but I don't think regardless of whoever we get at number three, it's not going to affect the standings all that much. I will say this. I, th- I think they will finish with the 10th seed again for next season, um, yeah. but miss out, obviously, on the playoffs. Right, yeah. Uh, so a couple things. Um, I think next season is going to look similar to what this year looked like. I really do, um, which is to say they're not going to win a lot of games and they're not going to make the playoffs, which that's okay. Uh, and look, maybe the eight seed is in reach, after the draft and free agency and the schedule and all this other jazz comes out. But like, I don't see it. And I also don't think it's like worth pursuing as we sort of just got done uh, discussing. I think it's also important to remember as we've discussed on here, this team had a lot of shooting luck in the clutch. The clutch offense was good this season in part because they shot 43% on threes in the clutch was just the number one in the league. Uh, like that's going to regress. And uh, when that happens, like, you know, even they they might win less, even if, the talent, the in-house talent, plus whoever they take with the number three and 32 picks, like that helps them improve. Like they're just, they won a lot. They won close games last season that they may not have had as much business winning, but similar to what Cody Zeller said, like you can't, you can't evaluate next season off wins and losses or defensive and offensive efficiency. Like for the Hornets, it's about chemistry and player development, which we talked about all this past season. And for us outside of the team, you know, that means player evaluation. So watching guys, look, watch, looking at the film, checking improvements, uh, late game uh, management, leverage situations, like how do certain guys handle themselves? Like that's that's the stuff to focus on. And there's going to be even more of that to keep an eye on because there's going to be more young players headed in the door next season. And, uh, and I think the, another similarity just like between next season and this year, like it'll go down to like the inevitable buyouts for Batum and Zeller, you know, that like, that will be like Marvin and and MKG. So, um, I mean, look, I actually think there could be a a trade market for, uh, for Zeller, uh, if a team at the team is looking for some center help or whatever, but yeah, I think it's going to, I think it's so, I think it's going to be fun. And I think they're going to, the team's going to try to sell a lot of the same things that they did this past season, um, which was enjoyable, I thought. Um, But they're just not going to win a lot of games, you know, and that's going to be, okay, the goal is obviously to eventually, like, get back to the playoffs and contend. But, like, you know, ain't nothing wrong with getting another good draft pick in 2021. So that's just uh, important to keep keep an eye on. All right, second question for predictions in the future section here. Uh, which Hornets player or players are you looking forward to seeing the most next season? Again, from at Patrick Connor 7 So um, there's probably a handful of players that you can point yeah. to here. I'm, I'm just going to point to two here. Yeah. So Malik Monk is one of the probably the top player for me. For me, it's almost like a show me season. Like what can you do on a mm-hmm. consistent level day in, day out? He has shown strong play, but it's been in spurts here or there. Uh, there's a couple of questions that I do want to see answered as it relates to Malik Monk. Well, first off, will the team offer him an extension heading into the season? I I tend to think not, but I, I could be completely wrong in that aspect. Um, I want to see how he does, again, continuing with the ball in his hands. Will he continue his strong play, attacking the rim and finishing at the rim? Mm-hmm. And to me, the biggest question with Malik Monk is... 
Can he develop a three-point shot? Um, he can be effective without it, and, and we've seen that, but I, I feel like it just unlocks a whole lot more. And I don't know if it's, like, too late in the game. I mean, I, I don't think it's ever too late, but it just feels like we got to see these things develop, and it's not developing at the rate that you thought it would when he came out of Kentucky. But there's a lot of things to like about Malik Monk, and but there's also a lot of question marks that we, we have for this guy moving forward. So he's probably my top player that I'm kind of mm-hmm. looking forward to next season just because of all the unknowns surrounding him. And the only other player that I'll mention is just P.J. Washington mm-hmm. and how he's going to continue yeah. with his with his rookie season and, and yeah. what he's going to develop and just the versatility, the more versatility that he can add to his game. Yeah, to, I mean, agree with you on one, two. I've got PJ at the top of the list. Just like what strides can he make offensively, uh, starting with more, you know, what additional playmaking share and responsibilities can he take on? Um, that's something he's talked about. I think maybe even you discussed that with him, Richie, on one of the Zoom calls, but it's something that James Borrego has talked about. Can he facilitate even more as a DHO guy, fake DHOs, uh, high post, elbow, you know, post up tower, passing hub? Uh, and also another thing I always like to keep an eye on with him too is like his, his catch and go as a spot up target as well um, because – I thought there were times like middle last season where teams, they, you know, scouting report went out on him teams run him off the line and he can do some stuff off, off the catch and go. Like he can finish and he's actually a pretty good little kick out or drop off passer in those moments too, but just more development playmaking really uh, in general there. And then just like he ended up, I mean, he's a good three point shooter. I think we can all agree on that, but he shot 32 and a half percent from above the break last season. Um, that's an important shot for him. That's the pick and pop shot. That's the, the that's the spot up opportunities. I mean, he's great out of the corners for sure. But it'd be nice to see that above the break number get to the mid to upper thirties. I think as a guy that is just that's going to be such an important part of his game mm-hmm, is finishing mm-hmm. at the rim, three point shooting in the corners and above the break. So I'd like to see a little more efficiency there. Um, man, you said it with Monk. I mean, the main thing is like just making sure that like. It, he's in a he like mentally he's in a safe and healthy and, and happy place and it, that seems to be the case right now right um so i'll believe everything the team is saying that like he's he's ready to roll but that that's step one and that's good um yeah the his first two seasons he shot in the mid 30s from above the break on threes um that dropped to 30 31 this season he shot just 24 percent from the corners um you know those numbers have got to get better uh, like period um, if he's going to play off guard in the NBA, a great closeout driver, uh, 38% of his field goal attempts at the rim, you know, making sure he keeps that up. He mostly eliminated long mid range pull-up shots last season. You know, make sure that continues um, pick and roll decision-making. Can he just get more pick and roll possessions? You know, so much of the offense goes through Devante and, and Terry Rozier and miles mm-hmm. bridges. Um, you know, can Malik get more of the playmaking load and then, Two other small things. Devontae's in-between game and float game. And it, you know, this, can he finish at the rim with more efficiency and with more volume? Only 18% of his shots were at the rim last season. And then Cody Martin spot-up shooting. Can he become a better three-point shooter? I, I keep forgetting about the Martin twins. I don't know why. But uh, yeah. <laughs> all right, last question here. Do you see a reasonable path, speaking of Devontae, uh, in Devontae becoming a top 12 to 15 point guard in the league at some point in the next several years at father Charlotte was the one that sent this in. Uh, This is a tough question to me, but to me, I don't have a ton of belief that he will be considered a top 15 point guard in the league. I'm sure there's a path, uh, but it's going to require him like you're mentioning to clean up 
a lot of these deficiencies that you just mentioned, Brian, he's got to find a counter to the way that the teams are defending him and forcing him off the line. He really has no game inside the arc. I mean, it, it it's kind of sad to watch sometimes because he's not getting to the rim, but it's probably because he knows that that's not where his bread is buttered there, and, and it hinders ability to kind of improve as an offensive player. So mm-hmm. I have no doubt that Devontae is going to continue to work hard on these things, and yeah. uh, whether it's mid-range or finishing around the hoop. But whether or not that materializes, that's a different question. I think a lot of people might think that this is just kind of like a flash-in-the-pan kind of season here for him, and it, it, mm-hmm. he just might fall off completely. Who knows? But uh, to me, to answer this question in the next few years, will I consider him a top 12 to 15 point guard? Probably I lean towards no. Yeah, that, I mean, like if you're a top 12 to 15 point guard in the league, you're really freaking good. <laughs> you're really good. Um, Devontae's like a top 30 point guard in the NBA, probably in that range. And like he's already an excellent player. He had a great season offensively this year, like full stop. Great offensive season. Um, variety of different numbers can uh, support that notion. Um, But he would have to make enormous strides again for the second time. He'd have to really, I mean, he, the the jump he made from his rookie year to his second season, he'd have to do that a similar type of jump. You know what I mean? To get into uh, this range that we're talking about. And a lot of that would come with him taking, making big improvements in areas of weakness offensively. Um, as I said, only 18% of his field goal attempts came at the rim. That's really low. And he missed a lot of them too. The mid range game, the float game, like all of that would have to get way, way, way better. The above the break three point shooting is good, but you know, maybe even that would need to get more dynamic, a little more range, a little more efficiency. Um, so, yeah, and then, like, defensively, like, he's got a lot of issues. So this would probably have to come with him making serious improvements offensively, even though he's a good offensive player. He's already 25. He'll turn 26 in February. So, yeah, I I think there's, like, it, there's a non-zero chance, right? Like, he's a good player. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't he, – he's in, he's in his prime now, basically. Like, he's just starting his prime. So he should still be getting better. I just don't know if it's going to be enough of a sort of like leap to sort of take him to being like a fringe top 10 point card in the NBA. Um, so, you know, the question asked is, is there a reasonable path? You know, I don't think it's like unreasonable to think that it could happen. Um, I just don't think it's likely. And it does, that does not mean that he isn't a good player, a good guy to have um, in house as you're building this thing forward. As I said, like, I think, you know, if they extend him or whatever they do, like, you know, you're going to see him in Charlotte for at least the next five years, you know, yeah. with the reigning of your rookie contract and then maybe a four year extension or whatever. So, which would take him into his, you know, into his age 30 season. Yeah. I think his success and his, his work ethic is repeatable. You're going to see that. It's like I said, whether or not it materializes or not is, is, is a totally different question. And to your point, it, it's probably going to have to happen on the offensive end. All those improvements have got to happen on that side of the court for him to be even considered even though he's already so good on that end. It's the defensive side that I don't really feel like there's a ton of reasonable room for improvement there. All right, guys, thanks again for tuning in to another Buzz Beat. Uh, We appreciate the continued support, guys, and be sure to share this with your friends, other Hornets fans, get it out there. Also, for next week, or at least sometime soonish, I am working on a guest that I know you guys should enjoy. So we will see you guys next time. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. 
The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com 